Hi guys, uh, welcome to the second edition of Sales Enablement Live. Um, as I said in my promotion on uh, LinkedIn, it's my birthday today, so makes it even better uh, or makes it great to hang out with everybody and talk about my favorite topic, Sales Enablement. We've got lots to cover today. Um, I've received a bunch of questions um, before the stream and yeah, really excited to dive into it with you. Um, we started this live stream as an extension of the podcast. So for those of you who are not familiar, the State of Sales Enablement is the podcast that I started um, earlier this year. Now we're 23 episodes in and uh, had um, awesome sales enablers on the podcast, you know, like Tamara Schenk, uh, Roderick Jefferson, uh, many more, and um, but also sales leaders and uh, business leaders. So this, this live stream is really supposed to be an extension of the podcast and um, really gives us an opportunity to to interact more and um, to have a discussion about sales enablement in real time and um, really delve into the topics that that you care about. Um, on that note, uh, this week we had uh, Matt Hines on the show, uh, who runs a B2B marketing agency in America. And uh, yeah, we, he touched on some awesome topics really relevant to the sales enablement space. Uh, one of the things he spoke about was uh, land and expand strategies, which is also something that um, I saw in the sales enablement space coming up as a topic more and more often. Uh, you know, for those of you who are not familiar, so land and expand essentially the mantra of um, the closed deal just being the um, the beginning of a journey uh, for a buyer and um, also only the beginning of the uh, commercial benefit uh, you're able to create from uh, closing a deal. You know, so you um, essentially see that as, uh, as a very beginning of the buyer journey um, with your business and then you essentially... Um, look where you can add value after you get more familiar with the buyer's business and so on. And uh, he had some awesome tips on that topic. Uh, so I would definitely encourage you to check the episode with Matt Hines out. And um, I can see that uh, Nick and Devin have joined. So welcome to the show, guys. Uh, great to see you here. Uh, please feel free to um, to post or to to post any questions in the chat or to interact with each other. Um, this is really what this is, uh, what it's designed to do. Nick, great to be here. Thank you, mate. Uh, good to have you here. And um, I want to start talking about the very first uh, question that I've received from uh, Denise from Singapore, and she's asking. How do I source more budget for my sales enablement team? And um, this is an interesting one because um, a lot of times I speak to businesses who haven't started on the sales enablement journey yet. And um, what they worry about is uh, making the business case for sales enablement in the first place. But then uh, when it comes to uh, um, actually having a sales enablement team and growing the sales enablement team and um, uh, growing the possibilities that, that come with having a sales enablement team, uh, raising raising uh, more money internally and uh, getting more budget to realize more initiatives is really important. And um, I think uh in in that sense uh, if you're operating in uh, i'm not sure which uh what sort of business you work for denise but uh if you're in the b2b space uh it definitely comes in handy if your business sells to senior executives because you can use that same methodology methodology or those same kind of principles to actually communicate the benefit of sales enablement internally to uh, to get more buy and more budget and um i guess the key here is to always speak to the to the things that the senior executives really care about. And, um, you know, that is, uh, you know, 
capitalizing on market demand, uh, reducing costs, uh, you know, protecting yourself from competitive disruption, these kind of things, you know. Uh, I think it's it's really important, again, if you're seeking more budget, uh, not to think think of self-enablement in terms of the activity case. Oh, yeah, those are so and so many training sessions that we can offer to, to our sales team. But um, really speak to the senior executives that, that own the budget uh, more in terms of the, the topics that they um, care about. And depending on the sophistication and the size of your business, you know, maybe you need a business case. Uh, maybe you just need to make good arguments, uh, which can also work in some cases. Um, it certainly helps to quantify uh, the benefit that you're able to generate um, with your sales enablement activity, um, even though. Um, as you know, there's, there's always a lot of different uh, factors that uh, play into um, the effectiveness of sales. Sales enablement contribute to that, obviously. Um, but um, actually being able to, to show um, initial traction with your sales enablement activity, it's really crucial in getting that buy-in and creating momentum for your, uh, for your sales enablement team to, to, get more, to raise more budget through senior executives and I mean, it also depends on uh, you know on what who, on the kind of people that that are in charge of the budget. You know, um, when I think back to my uh, days in a sales enablement role in media, you know, we had um, we had good traction, but very little support from senior management because uh, you know uh, we the media business that I worked for was a diversified media business, so they had print publications, they had digital properties, and my work was mainly focused on. The digital publications and but the majority of the revenue was still sitting in print so the the attention of uh, senior management was still really focused on print and um, that's why initially we didn't get a whole lot of support uh, but then uh, the senior management changed and we've been able to showcase the kind of work that we've done the kind of uh, you know conversations that we have been able to generate uh, with sales, collaborating with sales on a more senior level, and then suddenly we got loads of support. So you know it's it's not always in your um, in your realm of influence um, whether you can whether you can influence that um, uh, senior management or not. Um, it also depends on the kind of person that is in charge. But uh, yeah, you can you can certainly make your case if you're really able to bring that back into a context um, of those kind of KPIs that they're looking at that they care about, which is uh, saving costs, capitalizing on market demand, and um, you know the competitive angle in terms of uh, how you can capitalize on having sales enablement, for example, versus your competitors, and how much more effectiveness from a sales point of view you can generate to protect yourself from from disruption. So guys, I saw uh, yeah, Max uh, joining the conversation. Welcome, Max. Uh, great to have you here. Um, I said it earlier, if you guys have got any questions, uh, please feel free to post them in the chat. Uh, happy to cover them um, live here. Um, the next question that we have received in advance uh, was from uh, John, and John's from Melbourne. And uh, John says, uh, we're a payroll management uh, platform and about to expand to Southeast Asia and the US. How can sales enablement uh, support the launch into new markets? Well, uh, there, there, there's so much um, sales enablement can do. Um, I think you know that's one of the biggest advantages of um, uh, as an organization to have sales enablement on board. Um, you're really able to to uh, um, to support the expansion from a sales point of view. And I think a few things. Uh, I mean, there, there's there's literally almost an infinite amount of things you can do. But some of the things that I would uh, suggest 
you do to prepare for the launch in new markets from a sales perspective is, uh, first of all, lead customer interviews if you already have customers in those markets and um, basically identify, similar to what you would do in a win-loss analysis, um, essentially um, interview customers, uh, get a better understanding um, of their uh, buying processes, what sort of functions are involved, uh, what, what they care about, um, also how they perceive the interaction with your sales team so far, if they've already dealt with them, and so on. So those those customer interviews can be really uh, crucial in making making a launch into new markets successful, especially if your company hasn't operated in those markets uh, before, because um, especially if you compare Australia to Southeast Asia, um, the sell can oftentimes be a very different one. And uh, we we had those conversations on the podcast several times, um, talking about the cultural nuances um, across regions. And Southeast Asia is no exception there. You know, you um, you don't only have language barriers, but you also have um, different decision making processes and different uh, business culture. For example, Singapore versus Malaysia is very different. Singapore is very rational um, versus Malaysia is um, extremely relationship driven. So it's it's worthwhile to um, do those customer interviews and do your homework and before entering those markets to, to really understand um, the nuances. And once you've nailed that down, um, what I really would suggest you do is um, really map the buyer journey and identify whether it's different um, to uh, considering your are when I assume you're currently operating in the Australian market. So it's worthwhile actually mapping out um, whether there's differences between your local market and the markets you're looking to expand into. Um, and then uh, work work with the sales leadership um, on defining the process accordingly. You know, if there's any differences in the buying journey, um, there might be a requirement to customize your buying journey as well. Um, systems is another one. So um, you probably um, need to be set up to enable the new sales staff that you hire in those markets, assuming you have salespeople on the ground. Uh, which I think would be the case considering the time difference between those markets. Um, you probably want to set them up with the systems that you need, uh, whatever, whatever you already have in place, uh, probably as a minimum, the CRM, just make sure that they're, they're equipped on that front. Um, and then the content angle, I would also um, consider, you know, because that's always something that um, I experience here in the Australian market with businesses that I deal with, deal with. Um, um, if they have headquarters in the US, uh, you oftentimes see that the content uh, doesn't really translate in the Australian market. And by translate, I don't mean, you know, we all speak English and it's not not a question of exchanging Zs to Ss and uh, O to OU. Uh, it's it's really a, a um, difference in the way you communicate and the, and the difference in tone that's often required. And um, I think that's even more so the case, especially in Southeast Asia. It's probably... A, Bigger, bigger difference between Australia and Southeast Asia um, versus Australia and the UK. And uh, customizing those content formats uh, will be really crucial to, especially from a digital selling point of view, um, to make that a success and uh, really um, enable your buyers with the content that they need to, to make smarter decisions. Um, another one I would probably also look at is the onboarding. So assuming that you hire uh, new salespeople on the ground, uh, you need to really nail the um, the onboarding program um, to uh, um, to reduce the time to revenue. Um, that's that's of course crucial. I guess um, I'm not sure if you guys are funded or not, or 
um, if you're self-funded, uh, VC-funded or self-funded, um, either way, you you want to get to revenue as quickly as possible with new sales staff. So uh, defining the onboarding program and then also the training program, of course. Um, if you have uh, local sales enablement staff um, and you have a senior person in Australia, it's obviously also really important to to mentor those people or that that resource and really make sure that uh, they they um, learn from what's already worked in the Australian market and then translate that into the other markets. And if especially if the resource is more junior than the person that you have in Australia, um, I guess that's um, yeah that's that's crucial on that front to really make sure that uh, you have that knowledge transfer within the business. Uh, yeah, I think that that's my top line thoughts. Uh, without knowing more about your business, um, good luck for the expansion. Uh, then the next one that we have is, um, what are your options for launching sales enablement without dedicated resources? And uh, that question is coming from Peter from Sydney. Well, so that one is an interesting one because um, there is honestly a whole lot of options to launch sales enablement without uh, dedicated resources, even though um, I would always argue in favor of having dedicated resources or focused resources from a sales enablement front. Um, there's a few options. So um, what I see often is uh, sales directors being involved in sales enablement, um, you know, especially in smaller organizations without uh, without dedicated uh, sales enablement resources, a sales director can really make a difference. Um, the, the tricky bit here often is that you would have um, a, a conflict between the priorities, right? So, um, you know, especially senior sales leaders, they, they're often uh, really involved in a lot of um, internal conversations, strategic conversations. Um, they have to do a lot of admin, they have to manage the staff and so on. So um, uh, those people uh, would definitely be sidetracked um, in their efforts to enable their sales team, you know, and um, would not always, it would not always, um, be 100% of their focus, which also makes it less strategic, you know. Um, that's, from my point of view, also the option uh, the, or the, the case with the option of the marketing director. Um, so if you have a marketing leader, uh, the marketing department also can uh, contribute to sales enablement efforts, especially from a content perspective. Uh, so I've seen some of uh, some organizations that I deal with uh, do that quite effectively in the beginning. Um, where the marketing team really closely collaborates um, with the sales team and uh, creates content to support them. The problem here um, that I typically see, which um, which is worthwhile considering, is that uh, uh, because marketing doesn't have uh, the knowledge or the influence across all areas of sales, you know, so um, the the buckets that I would typically look at with organizations that are new to uh, sales enablement is the uh, sales process side of things. Um, the system side of things, the coaching and the content. And uh, if marketing only look at the content side of things, um, they obviously don't have the influence or the ability to impact the, the remaining three. So that's, that's definitely that downside. Um, and also, again, because marketing is also running other marketing activity, um, the problem is also that they might not necessarily always prioritize uh, sales enablement. You know, it's kind of a a, a side project that they run if they find the time and um, their focus will always be driving uh, marketing kpis um it's even if if they have some sort of revenue kpi um involved in their activity um they have a million other things to look after so um that's just something to worth considering 
The other approach that I've also seen, um, especially in smaller organizations, is that um, the sales managers actually task uh, s specific sales reps with sales enablement initiatives, you know, to enable the, the rest of the sales team, you know. So let's say a, a sales rep has um, certain experience, um, the sales manager would then ask the sales rep to, to coach other reps in, um, in acquiring a skill, you know, for example, um, whether it's the prospecting or it's presentation skills, demoing skills, um, even content creation in some cases, depending on the background. So um, that can work too, to a certain degree, but um, it's typically small organizations that really um, focus on uh, having resourceful sales reps in their team, you know, and, um, um, you know, they, um, they don't necessarily, or they go into the hiring process um, with that in mind, and they really make sure that the sales reps have relevant backgrounds to enable the rest of the sales team. I, I think that's a that's a tricky one to execute. It can work, but um, at the same time, you have the same problem as with the other resources that um, there's always a lack of focus. You know, a sales rep is primarily there to to generate revenue and to hit a quota. And uh, enabling sales might not always, oh, enabling the rest of the sales team might not always uh, take the priority. So I think um, there are pathways to um, utilize those those um, existing resources without um, a specific sales enablement focus. But you always um, you always sacrifice your ability to act strategically and to really remain focused and drive the sales enablement um, efforts forward. And that's why, you know. I would always recommend um, if you have the budget and the time available to actually hire an internal sales enablement uh, director. And I say director de deliberately here because um, I think it always, the first sales enablement person should always be somebody senior. So it's a strategic uh, person that can interact with senior management and really create that internal alignment. So I think the, the senior um, dedicated sales enablement resource should always be the first go-to option if you have the budget and the time for hiring. Um, if not, um, yeah, I would recommend uh, hiring somebody externally. And uh, I don't necessarily mean uh, my business, like my business might not be the, the right one uh, for your organization, but um, there's, there's tons of uh, great consultants and sales enablement service providers out there that are able to um, to do that cost effectively and um, introduce the focus uh, to your organization that you would typically only have with dedicated resources. So there's lots of different avenues to sales enablement. Um, you just have to work out which one is right for your business. Now, uh, guys, again, if you got any questions, uh, let me know. Happy to to cover them as well. Um, but in the meantime, um, we have a question from. Uh, let me just take a look who that is from. That is from uh, Carla. I'm not sure where Carla is from, but uh, Carla was asking, uh, what are your recommendations for building our tech stack beyond the CRM? Uh, again, I think this really depends on the um, on your organization and your needs. Um, I think to identify your needs, um, uh, again, like I would always follow the same process, you know, like do the do the analysis, do the customer interviews, um, do your market research, map the buyer journey, and then uh, design your sales process accordingly. Based on that sales process, you can then uh, start introducing technology to create efficiencies and reduce friction. You know, I would never uh, start building a um, a tech stack before you 
um, have figured out your buyer journey and your sales process because um, you know there's there's nothing to create efficiencies for if you just uh, ran, randomly operate or if you just intuitively operate. Um, I think that part needs to be sorted first. Um, there's so much sales tech out there and it's growing rapidly. I think what we've seen in MarTech um, and MarTech, um, you know, has seen an explosion. I think um, the first one that um, uh, Scott Brinker, MarTech landscape came out uh, was in 2010. Um, you know, when I looked at it back then, there were a few hundred, uh, uh, yeah, a few hundred, if that, uh, vendors out there. And I think the, the latest um, MarTech landscape had something like uh, over 5,000 vendors on there. And I see the same thing happening in sales now. You know, there's there's so, there's so many tools popping up. There's, there's lots of consolidation going on as well. And uh, I think uh, there's, there's uh, more and more sales tools out there, which um, is great because uh, you um, are able to accommodate more different needs, but it also makes it harder to... Uh, navigate for organizations and really um, harder for organizations to make smart strategic decisions in building their um, their tech stack. And I guess, um, yeah, I mean, CRM should always be involved. Uh, you know, the CRM, I think, um, especially if you think about the buyer journey and assuming that you have more than uh, one person involved in servicing your customers, uh, that's always the core. Um, and all data from all other um on, from all other tools should definitely feed into the CRM. So you've got a single source of truth. But um, I guess beyond that, you know, you've got your standard tools, which pretty much everybody has these days. Uh, you know, things like email and, um, you know, video conferen conferencing tool. I don't think there's anybody out there that uh, doesn't have an email account or a Zoom account. Uh, even, my even my mom has those too. So um, um, I think uh, everybody's sorted on that front. Um, then it really depends on your sales process. You know, I think uh, sales navigator is also uh, pretty standard these days um, from a prospecting point of view and um, also from a, from a nurturing point of view. Um, if you want to build connections, network, and also if you want to uh, generate referrals and um, ask for introductions. Um, the, um, the other one, uh, content management is also a big one. So, um, you know, that's, that's an area that I work with a lot of clients on. So, uh, content management, um, especially if you're a global business, you know, um, the, the content side of things can become really confusing very quickly. You know, there's, there's organizations that just dump every, everything on a Google drive, uh, in a folder and then, um, leave it up to their salespeople to, um, to navigate the content and to work out uh, what they need to support a sales conversation. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, the ability to quickly find content um, makes the, the sales process so, so much more effectively um, and saves so much time that could be spent out in market leading sales conversations and helping, um, helping your, uh, your prospects to make smarter decisions. So that's, I think on that front, it's really worthwhile to investing and uh, making sure that you actually organize and host content in a way that it's really accessible. And um, I mean, there's really sophisticated tools out there um, from, from larger vendors, you know, with AI powered recommendations uh, for, sales, uh, for sales content that goes straight to the CRM, the smaller niche vendors out there on that front. And what I would recommend in each case is um, that you make sure that um, you can be you can integrate those systems um, with your CRM and um, with um, yeah with your with your other tech stack. 
Uh, call recording is another one that becomes more and more um, more and more common. So, of course, you know, like from a coaching perspective, um, if you have some sort of coaching program, uh, which I would also recommend for any organization um, to uh, to teach your salespeople to um, to uh, more effectively implement the sales process that you've created and to uh, to more effectively adopt sales methodologies, uh, the call recording is really valuable because it allows you to uh, to analyze calls. Um, at scale and are able to not necessarily witness every call in real time, but um, you know have sales managers uh, put put some time aside to analyze calls of their sales reps. So um, that's another one that um, is almost becoming standard. Um, but from my point of view, it, uh, it makes only sense if you are really able to um, to connect that to your coaching program. Um, generally speaking, when it comes to the to the process of um, sourcing tech and adopting tech, uh, I think you need to make sure that you're really systematic about vetting tech. And um, if you haven't purchased a lot of tech um, for your organization and you don't have a lot of experience yet, um, it's really um, really makes sense to create a scorecard and um, really be systematic about analyzing what sort of features you need and what sort of um, uh, what sort of features your vendors offer. Um, I would be strate strategic about planning out your stack and um, really make sure that um, not only you're able to integrate different systems, um, but that, they, that those specific um, systems can also grow with your organization. You know, So um, especially if you're funded and um, you expect to make a lot of hires in the future, um, it is really crucial not to stunt your growth um, by being locked in with a certain vendor and uh, not being able to um, accommodate the needs that you have uh, or the changing needs that you have. Um, it really makes sense to map that out over the time to to see um, what you what sort of uh, features and uh, yeah you need um, and what sort of solutions you need um, over the next uh, three, six, twelve months for your organization. And then, of course, as I said, um, um, the the fact that um, those systems are integrated or can be integrated and really have an open architecture um, to to communicate with each other and uh, at a very minimum, I would say, with the CRM is also really crucial. Um, there was recently a um, podcast that I really can recommend, uh, which is on the Salesman uh, podcast um, with uh, Justin Michael and uh, Tony Hughes. Um, they are the authors of um, uh, Tech Powered Sales. Uh, it's a really great um, book by the sounds of it. I've only listened to the interview uh, so far. The book is on my reading list. So they talk a lot about um, uh, what technology can do to support sales. And I would uh, definitely recommend um, uh, recommend you listening to their podcast um, if you get a chance. Cool. So uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining the party. As I said before, my uh, it's my birthday today. so. Um, was really great to be able to host another live session and uh, talk about sales enablement. Uh, I hope you found it useful. Um, as I said before, we're also running a, pod uh, a podcast. So this episode will actually um, also be um, uh, published as part of the podcast. Um, but I also highly recommend uh, not only uh, um, you know, um, listen to the recordings of those kind of sessions, but also to the interviews that we conduct. Um, we always have experts um, on the show that um, are some of the brightest um, people I come across. That's kind of the um, the the um, the tone of the show. You know, like we we try to 
um, combine the brightest minds of sales enablement and with those interviews. So I would highly recommend you getting involved in that if you're keen to learn more about uh, sales enablement. And uh, yeah, Nick and Devin, thank you so much. Uh, uh, appreciate it. I'm feeling the love over here. Um, yeah, if you if you found this session useful, it would definitely be great to uh, to welcome you in future sessions. And also, um, if you know anybody uh, you think would benefit from from those kind of live sessions, it would be awesome to uh, welcome them as well. If you want to share the love, uh, thank you so much for joining. And uh, yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Bye bye. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com learn.